has been beaten, continually mocked. spit on and then he's sent out and he moves towards Golgotha verse 32 as they went out they found a man of Cyrene Simon by name they compelled this man to carry his cross They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read... This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the, the, and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Let me reread that. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God... Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him. In the same way. You may be seated. Now this time I'd like us to bow our heads. And I'd like us to meditate on what we just read. I want us to think about this. Let's get this in our minds. Let's let this resonate within our souls. And let's pray. Privately, and then I'll pray, and then we will prepare to look at this text together. Let's bow before our Savior this evening.
Holy Father, we, we come to your word oftentimes with hearts that are hard because of our own sin. We ask this evening that your spirit might be our teacher to move away all distractions, to plant within us the word of truth, that we might rejoice tonight in the cross of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who purchased our redemption, granting us life everlasting. Lord, give us ears to hear and greater understanding of that which has been accomplished for us. The shame and the disgrace and the wrath that we deserve was placed upon your Son only because of grace. God, help us to understand this more deeply in thanksgiving to you, our precious Father, and the giving of your loving Son. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, gathered as we are to remember Christ's death on Calvary's cross, I think we all know that it wasn't a swift death like that of a fatal accident, nor was it a quiet slipping away in a coma. Jesus' death was cruel, violent, without any concern to lessen the pain. This is a grotesque event. Crucifixion is probably the most diabolical method of execution that has ever been fashioned within the mind of sinful men. But we must not forget that this is according to divine providence. When you think about all the elements of suffering combined together here through this act of torture, not only the scourging which preceded the nailing of the hands and feet to this Roman cross, and all the pain that was associated with those actions, but also the fatigue involved, the fatigue and the exhaustion of trying to hold oneself up to catch his breath. Okay, your feet are nailed, experts say, around the ankle area, and you'd have to push yourself up to grab breath. There's the dislocation of joints. There's the muscle spasms, which would keep you from lifting yourself up. The nervous tension. Deep thirst, dehydration under the hot sun. A slow strangulation of an elongated death. Brutal. Now, along with all the physical pain and suffering was the psychological anguish um, involved. Hanging naked. Openly, publicly, for all to see. 
that along with all the contempt, this scorn, the hatred of the crowd, this mob of mockers, to be completely rejected, abandoned, humiliated, hanging there in misery. Absolute misery. I can't even begin to draw a picture of what occurred on this day. The movie The Passion does no justice to what truly occurred. Although I think they do a pretty good job. It seems as though Christ's enemies have finally triumphed. And that his mission has failed. There were some friends of Jesus on a hill, not far, in a distance, looking on. Some of the women, along with John the Apostle, were at the foot of the cross for some period of time. And it seems that those enemies have triumphed. All their hope has been centered on him now for three plus years. Only days earlier, he enters the city with apparent approval. That tri- what we know is the triumphal entry. And they most certainly expected Jesus to declare himself as king on that day. Everything that was promised to those disciples came from the one who is now hanging on a Roman cross. Capital punishment. The one who said, I am the light of the world, now hangs in darkness. The one who said, I am living water, hangs there dehydrated and says, I thirst. The one who said, follow me, has been seized by religious hypocrites and soldiers of the Roman Empire. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life before raising Lazarus from the grave is dying. Why did he have to die like this, many ask? I mean, couldn't God have come up with some other method to save mankind from their sin? No. No, he could not. What we're seeing here is the fulfillment of what God promised Satan in Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, promised to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Now, unbeknownst and unrecognizable to his followers is the fact that he's atoning for their sin. Through this barbaric act, through embarrassment and shame, shame of the cross, Jesus was making full required payment for the sins of God's elect. And who is that payment being made to, beloved? The Father. Not the devil. Now, 2,000 years later, even from within the church, many hearts are embarrassed by the violence and the shame and the disgrace associated with this cross. 
mostly due to the fact that it is viewed as absolute foolishness to the listening world. After all, Scripture says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, for they are foolishness to him. Because of that, many people pull back a bit and they, they're almost ashamed of this grotesque atrocity of the cross. But the grotesque atrocity of the cross is not that hanging on it was a great man. It's not so much that it's an innocent man, perfect and without fault, in the courts of sinful human hands. But rather, hanging on that cross is God himself, the spotless son of God, who died for you. If you're a believer, he died for you. A foolish, repugnant notion to those who are on the road to hell. This is lunacy. The cross has always been repugnant. It was so repugnant to the Romans of Jesus' day that they refused any of their citizens to be crucified. Hundred years prior to Christ's crucifixion, Cicero said, and I quote, It is a most cruel and disgusting punishment. Let the very mention of the cross be far removed, not only from the Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. End quote. Now, a cross was even more hideous and heinous to a Jew. Because anyone who hangs on a tree was viewed as being absolutely abandoned by God. We go back to the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy, in the 21st chapter, in verse 22, says that if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. That is why Jesus had to be crucified outside the city. It was not allowed inside the holy city of Jerusalem. So they marched him out to Golgotha to be crucified there. Hebrews 13 verse 12 tells us, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. It was only through the cross that Christ could atone for our sins and accomplish our salvation. This is the only way. Our shame and our disgrace was taken on by Jesus as he hung on a cross in our place. Sin always brings with it, beloved, shame and disgrace. Sin always brings with it shame and disgrace. If you think about this, as toddlers, we attempt to deal with our shame by hiding our face from our parents. 
when you scold your children, they try to hide their face, right? A couple months later, they, they hide their guilty little hand behind their back. A couple years later, we resort to making excuses. A few more years, we might blush and then outright lie. And then finally, with a few more years of seasoned practice, we almost don't notice sinners is what we are. But nevertheless, shame and disgrace still hangs on us like a filthy garment, like a raggedy old trench coat. As disgusting as it may look and as bad as it may smell, we still try to hide under it and then we try to pin stuff on it. Badges of achievement and self-honor. And all that does is expose our Adamic nature. Oh yes, we're in Adam. As Adam and Eve in their shame and disgrace scurried for the bushes. Trying to hide from God. Grabbing a couple fig leaves in an attempt to cover their shame and their guilt. Why? Because the closer one gets to a holy and pure God, disgrace and guilt are exposed on display. No hiding. This is the reason so many refuse to sit under sound biblical preaching. Refusing to endure sound teaching, they have itching ears. And accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, turn away, turning away from listening to the truth, and they wander off into myths. The closer one gets to perfection, the more obvious one's faults become. Ever apparent. The one who was perfect, the one who had no fault, nothing to be shamed about, was utterly shamed on this day. Disgraced. Part of Christ's humiliation on the cross, beloved, was to bear our shame, to suffer and die openly and alone. Do we see the cross like this? Surrounded, as he was on this day, by his religious enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees, they hated him. He had the masses who were mere spectators, much like the 18th and 19th century Americans who viewed public hangings as a kind of spectacle and even a form of entertainment. Suspended between heaven and earth, open, in view for all to see. That's our Lord. He bore our shame and he bore our guilt openly so that we who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ shall never taste death, never experience this shame, never participate in the penalty due to us because of our own guilt. That's what took place. That's what results for us in what took place on this day. The cross is not our shame, beloved. It is our glory. And Jesus turned it into that for us on this day. Now, in route to that open shame, let's survey the, the happenings here. And I want you to see why he had to die as he did. Okay? First thing we see here 
is that the Roman soldiers drafted a man to carry Jesus' cross. A man from the North African town of Cyrene. He's there during Passover. Verse 32, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. Now, of course, according to the providence of God, as Jesus was apparently at this point staggering, unable to bear the weight of the cross, probably so weakened from the scourging, having no sleep, probably dehydrated even at this point, they order this man into service. They compel him, as Roman soldiers had the authority to do. Right through the gates of the city, towards the hill, Simon, imagine this guy, Imagine bearing the weight of the cross right there next to the incarnate Son of God who is dying for his sins. Imagine the eye contact. Imagine what it did to this man's life. And then in verse 33, when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Now, the Jews had a particular custom. It was usually carried, carried out by the wealthy society with women of uh, Jerusalem. And they had a habit of going out and in order to ease the pain and the suffering of those who were being crucified, they would offer this drink, a mixture of wine and gall, and it served as kind of a narcotic to ease the pain and, and the suffering that was being endured here. But Jesus refused it. Not only to keep a clear head, but also to endure the full impact of the suffering due to you. Due to me. Now, John rounds out in his account that there were two attempts, two attempts of this wine and gold offering. The other was by the soldiers. This is towards the end of his hanging on the cross. When Jesus said, I thirst, and at that point he's fulfilling Psalm 69, 21, which says, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Remember, they soaked the sponge in this cheap wine. They put it to his lips. And it's at that point he said what? It is finished. And verse 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots when they sat down and kept watch over him there. Here then is a fulfillment of Psalm 22 and verse 18. Mark just read from Psalm 22. Gambling is, John tells us in his account, to win the outer robe of Jesus. It's a, a, a seamless robe that was prized among the soldiers. No doubt, what was it only, not only seamless, but it belonged to Jesus. Jesus was very famous. They knew about this Jesus, so they cast lots for this, this garment. Psalm 22, 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So there he is hanging. There's the Romans at his feet, set there as guards. They're casting lots for his clothing. And then over his head, the, the scriptures point out for us in verse 37, over his head they put the charge against him. Now, 
when a convicted felon marched through town bearing his cross up to the hill to be crucified, he typically carried a sign around his neck stating the charge. And then they would nail it to the cross. They put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, it's interesting, as we compare the four gospel accounts, they all include this account with a, with a little different variation. Here we read in Matthew, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Mark records the King of the Jews. Luke records, this is the King of the Jews. And John says, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Four statements recording the reality of what was going on, each remembering what the sign said in one way or another. So as you put it all together, it would read this. Jesus, or quote, I I say this again. This is Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. This is Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now remember, from the human side of things, Jesus was charged and and murdered for claiming to be what he was, Messiah, the Son of God. Meaning, he claimed to be the Son of God, which was to claim equality with God, and to claim equality with God is to declare yourself as deity, saying that you are God. That's blasphemy. In John chapter 5 and verse 18, we read, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So here then, beloved, is the rejected king of kings, the Lord of glory, being rejected by both the Jews and the Roman Empire, the world, for which he came to visit. The true and solitary savior king of the universe, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, is crucified at this point, and he hangs between two robbers. Verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. That word robbers is the word lacetes, and it's the same word used to describe one by the name of Barabbas. John 18.40. Barabbas was a lacetes, a robber. So these two, along with Barabbas, weren't just thieves, beloved, because thievery was not a capital crime. They were much more than thieves. These two criminals on either side of Jesus, along with Barabbas, were probably what we know as guerrilla soldiers. They were rebels, much like terrorists of our day, enemies of the state, They were being crucified for their rebellion against the state, against ruling Rome. And Barabbas, if you remember, was turned loose. He was supposed to be hanging on the center cross. Three thieves, three rebels. In Mark's account, Mark chapter 15, we read, 
beginning in verse 7. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder, there's the crime deserving of death, murder. Committing murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And Jesus, and rather, and they answered them saying, Do you want me to release to you king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? Well, they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Jesus literally took the place of this Barabbas on this day. Jesus took your place on this day. Reaping the punishment due to our guilt, our shame, for our sin. He stood in your place. That is, only if you have trusted him as who he is, Lord God Almighty. That is, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Oh yes, then he stood in your place. Both of those rebels hanging on each side of Jesus were at one point hurling abuse at Jesus. Both of them. Along with every other unbelieving group of that day, cursing Jesus. Note the insults now of those passing by. Verses 39 to 44. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying... You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Again, fulfilling prophetic scripture. Okay, we read from Psalm 22. That was written 1,000 years before this event, beloved. Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You believe the Bible? Now, Luke tells us in his account in chapter 23 that one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So they both begin to mock, and one, according to the grace of God, has a change of heart. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You get that? What an incredible statement. What an amazing, amazing promise. 
Now, I want you to realize something here. Between these two robbers, these two murderers, these two rebels, one of them was saved so that to this very day, no one might despair in repentance thinking that they're beyond God's grace. That's one reason. The other was left so that no one might presume in unrepentance upon God's grace. Very important. Isaiah 53, written 800 years before this event. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You know, as you look at this, one particular pathetic observation here is that when man is at his worst, that is, when one is in the hour of his greatest need for mercy, the depravity of other humans rises to the top. And that's exactly what we see. Most specifically, by the way, they treated Jesus as he hung upon the cross. I saw on the news a group of girls... These are teenage girls, 18, 19, 20, beating the tar out of a mentally disabled young woman. Right here. You wonder why? This is why. It's called depravity. And there's not a one of us in here, but by the grace of God, who would not do the same thing or that is incapable of doing the same thing but by the grace of God, but by the restraining hand of God. All three groups, the robbers, the spectators, the the religious hypocrites, they're taunting Jesus. And beloved, they are unwittingly fulfilling the words of Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. They have not a clue that they're fulfilling holy prophetic scripture. So go back to this scene. Put yourself here. Reflect in your mind the body of Jesus, lacerated, bleeding, beaten beyond recognition, doesn't even look like a man, struggling, suffering, gasping, thirsting. Do you see it? Can you see it? And as I said, even the, even the movie The Passion doesn't do justice to what he really looked like when he hung there. I don't think you could do that and have a movie. They wouldn't allow that, even in our day. All of which, all of this here was to place his record of holy righteousness over your clear record of unrighteousness, over my clear record of unrighteousness. That's why. This had to happen. Bearing all our guilt and all our shame openly before this morbid, sinister mob of mockers. Covering over your sin by becoming your substitute on this day. Suffering and dying when it should have been me. It should have been you. Bearing the curse, accepting my shame. 
That's the cross. Taking upon himself the full weight of God's wrath, God's punishment for your sin. Crying out as he did, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it was for you, beloved, that that eternal bond between father and son was broken on this day so that you might live. Yes, he was forsaken. He was literally, truly forsaken. God literally, truly turned his face from the Son. That's the only way you could be saved. Jesus endured all this. It was on this day, hanging on this cross, that the actuality and intensity of hell descended upon Jesus. Jesus didn't go to hell to be born again, as the false teachers teach today. Hell descended upon him. And he bore it all. Full torment of hell, so that you will never descend into the depths and the darkness of hell to be eternally tormented. That's the great exchange. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Again, written 800 years before this event. Our Savior was your substitute. Condemned, though innocent, that we might be acquitted, though guilty. Amen? He wore a crown of thorns so that we might wear a crown of glory. A crown of glory because of a crown of thorns. They stripped him of his clothing so that we might be cloaked in everlasting robes of pure holy righteousness. He was mocked and reviled so that we'll be honored and blessed. That's the cross. He was accounted as a sinner, having never sinned, numbered among the lawbreakers so that we might be reckoned as absolutely innocent, justified, declared free from all blame for our sin. Amazing. Declared on this day, unable to save himself from the cross so that he might save others for all eternity on this day. Dying the most painful and disgraceful death so that we might live forever and be exalted to glory on this day. He died, beloved, the horrors of a Roman cross. Okay, why couldn't Jesus die any other way? Why couldn't God have come up with something else? Because God ordained it as such. 
and the living scripture declared it. We just saw five, six, seven prophecies of scripture fulfilled on this day. That's just a handful. He had to, because this is the only way you could be saved. And if you believe in your heart that he died and God raised him, and you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says you're saved. And in verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He yielded up his spirit and said, this is in, in John 19 now, verse 30, he says, it is finished. It is finished, is what he said. Christ redeemed us, Galatians 3.13 says, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And none of this, beloved, would be valid unless there was a triumphant resurrection. We'll save that for Sunday morning. With this in mind, may we humbly now come to the table together. Humbly come as we partake of the Lord's table. And may we keep this in mind, not just this weekend, but always and forevermore, the price that was paid to declare you free from all blame. Amen.